Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Praise God. That will change everything. It will change everything. Do you imagine, just think about that song for a moment, victory is here. Victory is here. I said victory is here. Amen. And let me say something. So, you see, somewhere what we have to do is we kind of have to personalize this a little bit. See, this, this week you went and paid bills, right? You remember that? You remember when you paid bills? And you went, well, we can't pay that one. And we can't pay that one. And, well, we're going to have to wait on that one. Let me tell you, victory is here. What does that mean? It means you have more than enough. If, if, if God don't give money in, he will take what you have and he'll stretch. Let me tell you, you're blessed. Victory is here. You say, well, I went to the doctor and the doctor had a bad report. Let me tell you, victory is here. Victory's here because why? God's our healer. Can you say amen? You just got word of a family member that's went sideways, that, that's out of relationship with God, that's going off into a, a, a very bad place. Victory is here. And so how do you know that? Because God loves that person more than you do. Victory is here. Victory is here. See, church, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I've got it down inside of me, and it just, I'm telling you, it aches inside of me. It aches. I, I'm done with traditional, just show up to church and go. I want to have, a, I, I want to shake the walls. I want to shake the gates of hell. I want to shake the throne room of heaven. I want God's and the devil's attention. I want the devil to be running and to go, I don't know what's got inside of them. I don't know what's happening, but you got to stay away from those people. That's what I want him saying. I want God to rise to his feet and say, look there, that's my children. They got it. They got it. They know what's happening. And let me tell you something. Victory is here. Can you say amen? Amen. We do not serve a passive God. We do not. We serve the Lord uh, that is the Lord of hosts. Amen. When he rises to his feet, all of creation takes a moment. All of creation shuts its mouth. God is a big God. Can you say amen? So this morning we want to continue on with the series that we started last week, Invading the Impossible. But before we start, I, I want to just tell you about a, a little bit of a conversation. I was talking with Pastor Alex this week or last week, I forget which, where we were in the conversation or the timing of it, but we were talking about a church that we're both familiar with. <clears throat> we're familiar with this pastor, not because we know him, but because of his books that he's written. And the church is called uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Amen. And... Uh, uh, this, this man, is the pastor's name is Jim Cimbala. And Jim is just a wonderful man. But one thing about this church, their claim to fame is this, is that in the very beginning days of their church, when they were very, very small, they started a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And there was just a few people that would gather and they would pray and they would get a hold of God. There was really no formality to it. In other words, there wasn't a liturgy to to organize the prayer. It was just people gathering together and praying. 
And one of the things that happened in this is that as they begin to grow in their prayer meeting, things really begin to take place. There was this shaking, there was this, this, this thing that happened because people off the street in Brooklyn, New York, begin to come in. And by the time they hit the front door of the room that they were in, these people that were stoned out of their mind or drunk beyond able to walk or uh, demonized or uh, had mental health issues or emotionally broken, they would be completely restored as they walked into the room and they had given their life to Christ. And there was just this tremendous outpouring. And it was a direct result of people that were getting a hold of God. It was not a group of people that had all the formulas down. It was not a group of people that were uh, necessarily uh, doing all of the calisthenics of faith. What it was is a group of people that were simply connecting with God. They were just getting a hold of God, and there was something very powerful and very real in the dynamic of ongoing active prayer. And if you do any kind of uh, cursory study, even just at face value of the last couple hundred years, the last 200 years of church history, you'll find that every revival, without exception, every revival that took place, all the way even to the most famous, the Azusa Street Revival, began because a couple people got together and would pray. They got a hold of the horns of the altar and they, they begin to shake and they begin to petition God and they got a hold of God and there was something out of that that began to birth something that was just remarkable. And the Azusa Street Revival has literally been going for over 100 years now. We are a part of that revival. He said, what do you mean? Because our doctrine, our belief system is, is an offshoot of that. It's a part of that dynamic. And it traveled around the world and thousands, if not millions of people gave their lives to Christ because some people got together and decided they were going to pray. Can you say amen? amen? And you know why we just sung this song? We sung this song about breakthrough and victory. And do you know why that song penetrates our heart? Is because there's not a person in this room today that does not have a need where they need God to move desperately. Where you're sitting here, you're saying, you know what? Without God, it ain't going to work. This is desperate. I'm in, a, I'm in a tough situation. And we talked about that last week. We said there is a secret to breakthrough. And we said the secret of breakthrough is prayer. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter if our need is in our marriage, our home, our relationships, our finances. But we all have got that. We all can relate to barriers. We all can relate to hurdles and difficulties and impossible things and, and stub, stubborn uh, 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 dynamics in our life that just don't seem to want to move. Right. We can all relate to that. But these barriers can be torn down. These dynamics can be removed from our life. And they do not have to define us. Can you say amen? Because God has given us the weapon of prayer. He's given us the ability... To say, you know what, God, I'm going to get a hold of you. I want to be in your presence. And in the presence of God, there is a supernatural power and dynamic that will change everything going on in our lives. Last week, we looked at, just for a moment, the, we looked at David. David is such a um, vivid character in the Bible. And 
The great thing about David, what I love about David is David is not perfect. We see David with all his flaws. We see him in his good days and we see him in his bad days. But one thing that we see about David, it was David was a man that made a difference and he carries the epitaph of his life that he was a man after God's own heart. And this is in the face of some stunning sin. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some real dysfunction in his home. Yet this is a man that had a power of God in his life. And you have to ask yourself, why was this? Well, because this was a man that understood the dynamic of inquiring of the Lord in everything and in anything. Can you say amen? Amen. And when we start looking at that, and we start looking at this dynamic of prayer, the Bible becomes very clear. Oftentimes I have people that come to me and they say, well, pastor, is that really in the Bible? And, and there's lots of people that go, you know, I'm just a word. I just do what the word says. Well, let's see. So look, put it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray always. Say always. always. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, continue steadfast, say continue steadfast, in prayer. Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourself, say devote yourself, to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything, say pray about everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Somewhere along the line, the Bible is very clear. Can you say amen? Look at the words that he uses to to make these statements. He says this, devote yourself, pray about everything, pray without ceasing, pray always, continue steadfast. You get the feeling that God is very serious about prayer. (coughs) Isn't that true? I've seen whole doctrines that will move whole churches with less evidence than this. Amen. Yet with all of this clarity, we still have a problem with prayer, don't we? <laughs> no, now, now you're on the nerve. There you go. We still have trouble praying. We love counsel. Just look at my calendar. We don't like praying so much. God is an infinitely better counselor than I am. I'm pretty good, if I could say so myself. But you know what? I'm not God, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) You're not sure what to do with that statement, are you? So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, you know what? Probably 99.9999999% of your problems would be solved if you prayed. Is, well, I don't know what to say. Do you know how to talk? Right. Yes, I do. That's all prayer is. It's just simply coming to God. Well, I don't know what he wants me to say. Say what is in your heart. Talk to him. Just, just commune with him. He sorts it out. He knows your heart anyway. <clears throat> God is a father. I have never looked at my grandchildren, ever. Not one time have I looked at my grandchildren and say, no because you didn't say it right. That's insane. Can you imagine little Titus? Now, little Titus is learning how to speak. 
He didn't speak completely clear. Some things he says very clear. Other things are not so much. And you have to kind of listen to kind of get it. But can you imagine his mom and dad or me and Kathy or anyone for that matter that would withhold from him because he simply did not know how to say it correctly? That would be insane. Why? Because he's two. He's two. Pastor Alex has gotten him to say elephant. So you know what? He believes that Pastor Alex's name is elephant. You think I'm joking. When he sees Pastor Alex, he goes, elephant. That's his fault. That's Alex's fault. That's not Titus's fault. Alex did that. But we love it. We say, so why is God up in heaven with his arms folded, his brow furrowed, going, hey, stupid, you didn't say it right. Why would God be that way? If we know how to be compassionate enough to give a two-year-old a little bit of room for a little bit of interpretation, how much more is God in heaven? So why do we use these? Well, I don't know how to pray. Okay, I'll move on. The reason is, church, is because we're just not exactly sure that prayer does much. Now, we would never say it that way. If I were to go out today and with a microphone hold you accountable to give account of your prayer life, and all I said was, do you believe that prayer works? Everyone, everyone, without exception, would say, yes, prayer works. Until you need something done in your life, and then you do all kinds of things. Everything to drink, to get high, to go carouse it. No, no, we don't do those things. To, to go ask for counsel. No, I'm not bagging on counsel. If you need counsel, come get it. But let me tell you something. Somewhere along the line, God is capable of much more than we are. And if we'll go to him first. There's a story that I've told often in many different sermons because it is a favorite story of mine. So you may be familiar with this, but I, I really do believe it needs to be repeated. The story is this, is in a small town in Texas, Mount Vernon, to be exact, Drummond's Bar began construction on a new building to increase their business. The local Baptist church led a campaign to block the bar from opening with petitions and prayers. Work progressed right up till the week before opening, and when lightning struck the building and burnt it to the ground, the church folks got a little smug in their outlook, and they began to brag a little bit about that until the bar owner decided to sue the church on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of their building, either through direct or indirect actions or means. The church vehemently denied any responsibility and any connection to the building's demise in its reply to the court. As the case made its way into court, the judge looked over the paperwork. At the hearing, he commented, I don't know what I'm going to do to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. <laughs> 
reason I love that story is because it is so real. You say, is that, is that even biblical? Yeah. They, the disciples were praying for Peter to be freed from prison. Peter comes knocking on the door. A little girl by the name of Rhoda goes to the door, opens it up, sees it's Peter, shuts the door, runs back to the disciples or the apostles by now, and they looks and said, Peter's here. Oh, get out of here. He ain't here. What are you talking about? It's his angel or his ghost. Well, what were you praying for? You were praying that Peter would get set free, and God set him free. Why is it that we believe about one hundredth of the prayers we pray? Has it ever crossed your mind that there's more to this thing called prayer than we may believe? In the kingdom of God, prayers are exceedingly precious. Ian Bounds said these words. He goes, God shapes the world by prayer. Prayers are deathless. The lips that utter them may be closed in death. The heart that felt them may have ceased to beat. But the prayers live before God. And God's heart is set on them. Prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them. Outlive a generation. They outlive an age. And they will outlive the world. So how do you know that? Listen to Revelations 5.8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you understand the picture of that is in heaven? God is keeping your prayers in a golden bowl, which is a sweet-smelling savor before him continually. Amen. Ian Bounds goes on to say this. He says, the prayers of God's saints are the capital stock of heaven by which God carries on his great work upon the earth. God conditions the very life and prosperity of his cause on prayer. Amen. Let's look at our text. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. It says, so I sought for a man. Now I want you to pay attention to what's implied here. You, you got to catch this. So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. <clears throat> Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with my fire of my wrath. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the Lord. Now think about this for a moment. Think about the implications of this word. Think about it. If we don't pray, he won't move. Could prayer... Be that important. Listen to me this morning. I, I love Christians that are passionate. I love Christians that want to make a difference in the world. And there are a lot of them, believe me. They, they want to make a difference, whether it's in politics or whether it's in social issues like, like uh, uh, abortion or pornography or, or same-sex marriage and all of these different things. They, they want to make a difference. And so they become <clears throat> extremely vocal. They protest. They, they hold up picket signs. And, and they go and they, they make very grand and boastful statements. 
But oftentimes, very little is accomplished. I wonder if we took our passion and we begin to invest it into the dynamic of prayer, if we really begin to press into the throne room of God, if we really got a hold of the horns of the altar and begin to rattle the gates of heaven and say, we will not tolerate this. We are joined in our faith and our determination to see these things eradicated rather than walking in some sort of of bigotry or hate or violence that we actually walk in compassion and love with the grace of the Father and let Him do His work and let us do what we're called to do if we would not see great and mighty revival. Come on now. It just blows my mind. See, wow. I'm telling you, this has gotten inside of me. You say, why? Because I'm tired of being powerless, church. I'm tired of just facing it and going, okay, another day, another day. It's not another day. Victory is here. Are you hearing me today? (laughs) Here's the grand question. Why pray? Why? In light of God's sovereignty, why why do I need to pray if God knows everything? If he's all present, all powerful, if, 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 if God is self-sufficient, if, if he's complete and almighty by himself, why does he need me to assist him or help him in anything? Why would he need that? The truth is he doesn't. Why would God in his infinite wisdom devise a plan of prayer? Why would he make himself dependent on us? Could there be this morning much more at work in this dynamic of prayer than we really understand? I believe there is. I believe the dynamic of prayer, while it is every bit a weapon in our arsenal, it is a tool to help us build, it is a source of comfort, and all of the rest, we could go down the list, I believe, most of all, it is a vehicle by which you and I carry out daily intimate relationship with the Father. Can you say amen? amen? John Wesley once said this. He says, God does nothing on earth save an answer to believing prayer. It's clear that in our text, God intends not hell or any other power to be a factor that makes the difference in human affairs. You and I are called to partner with the Father. We are called to be joint heirs. We are His sons. We are His representatives, His ambassadors in the earth. Can you say amen? Amen. We are His representatives with all authority and power to accomplish his, his will. And it is through prayer that we connect with and receive all that God wants to dispense in this world. Listen to our text. This is God speaking. I sought for a man <coughs> who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap. I sought for a man. I sought for someone that would stand up. 
I, thought for so, I sought for someone that would pray. I sought for someone that would connect with me so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. This is the power of the story of Jonah. Jonah found a man, and he sent him to a town called Nineveh. Nineveh, for whatever reason, had gotten on God's list. God had determined that that town was wicked and that it could no longer stay that way. So God found a man that would go, that would intercede, that would make intercession, that would be a representative of him to those people so he would not have to destroy them. Jonah decided to go the other way. But God, in his infinite grace and mercy, got Jonah's attention and said, I didn't think you thought I was serious. But let me give you a time out. And give you plenty of time to think about your direction. <laughs> and in the belly of that fish, Jonah got a hold of himself. And he had an idea. He found some inspiration. Maybe I'm going in the wrong direction, God. Because God basically was saying, there's two ways out of this fish. The front door. And Jonah repented. He got a hold of God. He began to pray. Not only was he saved... But a nation was saved because God got a hold of a man. Here's the problem. We just don't think it matters that much. We don't understand the dynamic of his influence in us so that we can be an influence in the world. And prayer is the vehicle for that plan. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible is filled with stories of people that lived their life under the influence of God. And King Uzziah in the Old Testament was one of the best examples of what can, can, what can happen when someone submits to God in prayer. The Bible says this in 2 Chronicles 26, 5. It says, he, meaning Uzziah, King Uzziah, sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You got to know that Uzziah was only 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 52 years. And he became one of the most successful and powerful kings in all of Judah's history. Uzziah had unparalleled success. Listen, he was able, in his reign, he was able to overcome all his enemies. His fame spread as far as Egypt. He had exceptional wisdom. He built towers as strategic locations to keep watch, and he fortified walls. He trained his army and organized them for the very first time into divisions and battalions. In Israel's history, only his army was described as a powerful force. Never before in the history did any king arm their soldiers with an arsenal like Uzziah did. He, he invented new war machines. 
for use on the towers to defend his land. Uzziah was rich, he was powerful, and he was intelligent. Why? Because the Bible says he sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. It'd be nice if the story ended there. But the Bible is an honest book. It shows us both sides of the story. Because there came a time in Uzziah's life where things begin to take a nosedive. Because somewhere Uzziah grew proud. He began to look around at what he was able to accomplish and all of the things that he had done. And he began to gain an attitude that said, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I've built. This is the epitaph of every successful minister in the kingdom that has ever gone sideways. Because somewhere they begin to believe that somehow they have done this. The Bible is clear. Listen to me. Psalm 127 says, Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. It also says in John chapter 6, verse 44, Except the Father draw them, no one can come unto the under Jesus. This is an act of God, but God does choose to work through us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Uzziah comes to this place where he begins to ignore God's ways. And I'm sure Uzziah was a good man. He he was a man of God. He, He knew the word of God. And I am sure he didn't just one day wake up and say, I'm done with all that Christian stuff. Who needs prayer? He probably got busy. He probably said something like this. Man, I'm, I'm just so busy working for the Lord. He probably at times grew tired. Man, I just deserve a break. I, I, man, I've been working for the Lord. I've been doing stuff. I'm tired. He, he probably from time to time wanted to enjoy what the fruit of his labor. Amen, right? And he said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to take it easy. Uh-huh. And slowly but surely, the heat on his passion for prayer and seeking the Lord just got turned down. Turn down, turn down, turn down. Slowly but surely, he began to drift away. It wasn't that he didn't like prayer. He loved prayer. He loved talking to God. He sought the Lord. He saw the results of it. But somewhere, something happened in this young man's life to where all of a sudden, things are not the same anymore. And church, I'm going to tell you, that happens every day in Christianity. It's not that people are evil or, or that they've gotten demon-possessed or somehow they're wicked now when they weren't. It's just simply a complacency, yeah. a self-satisfa- self-satisfaction that says, you know what, I, I've done a lot, man, I've done good. And we just kind of, what we do is we, 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 we have this little feature on our Christianity called cruise control. And what happens is we snap it into cruise. The problem with Christian cruise control is it really doesn't hold steady fuel. It just slowly but surely drifts off until you're stopped and you don't even know it. And you're wondering, what's happened? 
this pattern of rising and falling in success seems to be a common biblical theme. You can read it throughout the Bible, but there are two events, two similar events that are recorded in the Bible, once with King Asa and another time with Elijah. And this is the way the Bible records the event. It says, they repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And when we look at Elijah's story, it's probably the most clear of the stories. You remember Elijah, he was the prophet during the days of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. These people were wicked people. They wanted nothing to do with God. They worshiped Baal. They, they were just messed up. They, they had killed all the priests of God and they had risen up hundreds and hundreds of prophets unto Baal and, and they had led the children of Israel to, into idol worship and all of these different things and, and there was all kinds of problems and, 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 and during this time, Elijah's time, they had gone into a severe famine and, and then even at Elijah's word by by, by, the, by the direction of God, Elijah prays and it did not rain for the space of three and a half years. Well, there came a point when there's going to be the showdown at OK Corral, as it were. And Elijah shows up and there's all the prophets and the priests of Baal and they're all hanging out and, and the children of Israel are wondering what's going on. And so Elijah comes up with a great idea under the inspiration of the, of the father. And he says this, I'll tell you what, let's, let's do this. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. We'll put a sacrifice on it. And, and, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And the children of Israel says, that's good with us. So the prophets of Baal and, and, and all these priests, they, they, there was 450 of them. They build their altar. They put their, 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 their sacrifice on it, and they begin to cry out to Baal. And this started in the morning, and it went all the way into the afternoon, and no fire. To the point now that they are desperately, violently cutting one another and themselves in hopes of somehow making Baal move by fire. But he doesn't because <coughs> he's not real. And then, just about evening time, Elijah says, you guys had enough? And I love it. If you read the story, it's actually quite comical because Elijah mocks him, says, well, why don't you guys cry a little bit louder? Maybe, maybe he's out, way out. Maybe he can't hear you. And so they did. That's the crazy thing. They, so they went, okay, that's good advice. Let's pray harder. And so they did. But Elijah, the Bible says, before he prays, he says this, this is what the Bible says. So, the Lord, so Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And so you got to ask yourself, what, what happened to bring the children of Israel into this place? It's the same thing that happened to Uzziah. They just drifted. And see, when you're drifting, when, when you don't have positive forward movement, when there is not some sort of acceleration, there can only be regression. When there is not acceleration, there can only be regression. And what happened is they just stopped. They just, they just through the period of time, they, got, grew, they grew comfortable and they just set it aside. And, and you know what? Baal became a lot more, you know, uh, uh, enticing. He was the new kid on the block. Oh, this is fun. But they didn't realize that their fun was having some specific consequences 
like famine and disease and poverty and brokenness. And now they're convinced that what we got to do, if a little bit won't work, then we got to do a lot more. And so they begin to press in. But here's Elijah. He, he shows them and he says, wait a second, we're, we're going to do something powerful. And he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. See, the altar had become obsolete. It become archaic, a thing of the past. It grew in decay and ruin. We know that when he prayed, when he built the altar, he set the sacrifice on it. And we are also told that he went and got gallons and gallons and gallons of water just to make sure that nobody threw their Bic lighter in there. And then the Bible says once the altar was repaired, that he said, Father, would you answer by fire? And fire fell, licked up all the water, took up the altar, took up the sacrifice, and there was nothing but a little scorched ground. Because God does it right when he does it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, the altar to them was broken. They had abandoned the place where they met with God and where they spoke. They abandoned the place where God met with them. And church, I'm telling you this, this is, this, while we see this in a very uh, um, stark way, we see their end, it's very harsh, but I'm telling you the process that got them there was very comfortable and soft. Right. We never end up in a harsh place because somehow we make some wildly stupid decision one moment at a time. We usually walk slowly into our destruction. Just simply setting prayer aside and saying, you know what, I, I, I just, I know prayer is important, but you know what, preacher, I, I know you're, you're telling me the right thing, but man, I got a lot to do today. It's true. The picture that we see with the children of Israel is the same picture that we see with believers today. They've abandoned the altar. Now I'm not talking, look at, I'm not talking about a piece of furniture or a location in a church. I'm talking about a place in your heart. I'm talking about that place where we commune with God. See, because the altar is a place of personal righteousness. The altar is a place of personal dedication. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place where we, we come in, 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 in this wonderful relationship with God and we set aside the things that are preventing us from getting closer to Him. Right things and wrong things. The altar is a place of worship where intimacy is birthed. The altar is a place of relationship where you and God forge out that deep, abiding relationship. But most of all, the altar is a place where we diligently seek Him. It's the place where we touch heaven and heaven touches us. We need to reestablish the altar of the Lord today 
in our hearts. Can you say amen? amen? See, because when Elijah, and I'm bringing this to a close so if Jason can come, because when Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord, fire fell in that moment, but then a three and a half year drought ended. His servant said, I see this cloud the size of a man's hand. See, I think that's part of the problem too, because sometimes when we get really committed to prayer, we're expecting these gigantic revelation moments, these, these great moves of God, and we forget the power of the still small voice. We forget the power of the cloud the size of a man's hand. And so what we do is we go, oh, see, it really didn't amount to much. But let me tell you, that cloud within minutes turned into torrential rain. So much so that Elijah was given supernatural power to outrun horses so he could get to safety. I'm, a, I'm telling you today, church, that this is the answer many of you are looking for. You're looking for this. You're saying, what, what, what do I do? I, I don't seem to, you know, because I, I'm finding that in council, it oftentimes is falling very flat because there is no human answer. There's no answer that we could give, but there is in the connection of prayer. There's something that changes things. I, I wish I could explain it to you. I wish I could draw a diagram for you. I, I wish I could present this to you. The only thing that I could say is in that dynamic of prayer, when a human heart surrendered to God goes to God, it begins to lift itself in communication with God. There's something that takes over. There's a dynamic that begins to flow out of us that, that I don't even know how you measure it. I don't even know what you call it. Call, simply calling it power is actually too small. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's Him. To call God powerful is an understatement. He is power. <laughs> It, 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 he is love. So to, to, do, to, to simply say this is who he is, is is to limit. So trying to define the quality of what happens when we pray, it's, it's undefinable, it's unknowable. But what we can know is it does happen. And you say, well, how long does it take? Does it matter? If what you're doing is taking a long time and not working. The only difference is you're convinced that somehow you're making a difference. Living Christianity out without prayer is like getting on a treadmill and thinking that you're walking across America. Well, look, it says I walked 10 miles today. You didn't walk anywhere. You stood on a treadmill and a little belt moved your feet. Well, it sure didn't feel like it. I'm kind of, yeah, do the same thing without the treadmill. I'm going to leave you alone. I promise it's late. I can't. I can't say because it, it convicts me because I walk on the treadmill believing that I'm exercising. It's 
probably more than sitting in my chair, but anyway. Here's the point, church. If we want the church to grow, and, and look, it's not about church growth. We can make the church grow. We just offer $5 bills at the door. They'll come. There's all kinds of ways, but if we really want to do what God has called us to do, to make impact in the world, not, not, not just a, oh, that was impact, and I'm talking about lasting, lifelong impact, then we got to pray. We got to pray. Here in the future, we're going to begin to open up prayer meetings. We are. We're going to start doing them church-wide prayer meetings. Where we say, you know what, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to pray. Not that we won't have a liturgy, we're just going to come pray. Get a hold of God. And just believe Him for big things. Whatever that is. And my encouragement and my hope is that you will join me in this and say, man, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. Me either. I don't know what I'm doing. But I know that God does. And I know that he's put this on me. And we could see the world changed. Can anything good come out of kingdom? Without a doubt. Do we have to continue to send our young people away from here so they can be successful? No. Do we have to continue to apologize for all that's wrong? Or can we declare all that is right? Can we see the hand of God move in our city in such a way is that it would get the attention of other cities and let them ask, what did you do? Can we see God move? Without a doubt. But it's not going to be one person. It's going to be a group of people that join arms with a cause that says we're going to get a hold of the throne of God. And we're going to, we're going to shake it. And I don't care, even if it, God just says, okay, fine, I'll answer your prayers so you get out of here. It's good by me. Either way. Let's, let, let's, let's get a hold of this. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? I want to do something real quick before we go on. If, as your head is bowed, your eye is closed. If you're here and you're with me and you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I want to either renew my commitment. I've had a commitment, but I want to renew it. Or you want to make a commitment. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to begin to engage in prayer. If that's you, would you lift up your hand all across this place? If that's you, you want that. Amen. Many of you haven't lifted your hand, and I wonder why. I can only assume that your commitment is solid. But that's something that you will have to ask yourself. Say, so, well, that's a little harsh. No, I don't mean it harsh. I just know that it's easy to sit and not lift hands and go, yeah, I make a commitment. Peter had to get out of the boat, otherwise he didn't walk on the water. Sometimes what we got to do is we got to go, I'm going to go on record, God. I'm going to go on record with you. I'm going to do something that I've never done, and I'm going to go on record. So if that's you, lift your hand. Lift it up all across this place. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. I challenge you today. 
church. You can look up at me. I challenge you to go from this place. Don't let this sermon just be another sermon. Go from this place. Meditate on this. Pray today. Take five minutes. Five minutes. And really say, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm connected. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to you. And let him change you. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer, our prayer team is coming. Our ministry team is coming. If you need a, a help or a prayer of any kind, come on up and let them minister to you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.